Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Bid Major Madness podcast. Is that what we still call ourselves? I don't even remember. It's been like six months since we've done one of these, uh, and a lot has happened since then. So in case you forgot who we are, I'm Russ Steinberg. I'm here with my our social editor, Cam Newton. Uh, it is the middle of July right now. We have not had real live sports except for the basketball tournament since March 11th and we are losing our damn minds what'd you say besides NASCAR oh yeah besides yeah we haven't had real sports since March 11th (laughs) (laughs) and we're losing our damn minds I don't endorse that I don't endorse that message at all I I acknowledge you not endorsing it anyway we are here because we have hit the point in the summer that I think we all knew was going to come eventually and probably around now because this is around the time when I guess uh, football players would really start ramping up and they would be on campus doing their workouts, getting ready for the start of the season normally at the end of August. Uh, so so we knew that, that this was coming when we would have to really sit back and examine what college sports and really college life as a whole is going to look like in the 2020-2021 academic year um, amid the coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic. And we sit here today on July 8th with about 130,000 Americans dead from this virus. Well over a million have been infected by it. Uh, and we've seen states, all 50 states have tightened up restrictions, loosened them to some degree. Some have tightened them up again to varying degrees of success. And really, we're in a place right now where the future is very, very uncertain in pretty much every aspect of life. And sports is one of them, and people are coming out with their takes about what sports should or shouldn't look like. And I think we, as a staff, agreed that it would be a good idea to come on here and kind of give our thoughts a little bit about the state of things and what needs to happen, what could happen, what should happen, uh, et cetera. And Cam, I know you have been someone who throughout this entire process has had uh, strong opinions about it, and I've pretty much agreed with all of them. So I want to ask you right now, as of July 8th, 2020, do you think there will be a college basketball season in 2020-2021? I don't think I don't think there will be any basketball in 2020. Um, we're, we're, the jury's still out on my opinions, and I'm, I'm going to wait to hold any of them about next year, the calendar year. Um, I know you said 2020-21 is in this upcoming season. I wouldn't be surprised if they were able to try and get something in um, next year. Just, you know, we're, we're still um, seeing a lot of, like, different research and stuff come in on, on vaccines and different um, therapeutics and stuff. And, you know, it's, it might be a moonshot um, to get one that early next year, but some uh, sources in the government and CDC said it is somewhat likely that you could have one at the beginning of next year. Um, 
So I wouldn't be surprised if we had it, but I'm not going to make any predictions then. I, I don't think we're going to have one uh, this fall, though. So so you're saying if there is basketball this coming season, it would start at the earliest in January? Yeah, I think something like something like uh, what the Ivy League laid out today. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, that's another reason why we're, we're doing this right now is because the Ivy League had an announcement that it made today that it will not hold its fall sports seasons. I believe they said they are hopeful that some of them can be shifted to the spring, but at the very least, there will be no Ivy League athletics for the remainder of the 2020 calendar year. And obviously, this got a lot of buzz for a lot of reasons. Um, One thing that people have pointed out a lot is that the Ivy League was the first conference to cancel its basketball tournament in March, and people thought they were crazy. And people criticized them for it. And then just days later, literally every other conference followed suit. And people are wondering, is this going to be the same sort of situation here where colleges or conferences across the country are having their athletes back now? They're having them work out. Are they going to start closing up shop now for the remainder of the year? I think it's a possibility. Um, Cam, I want to know what you think about what this Ivy League, what effect this Ivy League decision is is going to have. Are we going to see conferences follow suit? I know um, there are rumors that the Patriot League might be the next uh, to do the same thing. Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're thinking like in a Domino's metaphor, as, as many people have talked about, um, obvious, obviously when you think about that, you don't think about a tiny one knocking over a giant one. Like obviously the Ivy League decision isn't going to immediately and directly have an impact against you know a Power Five school or anything like that. Um, but I know through our conversations and conversations I've seen online, you know most people are talking about other small conferences um, within within the FCS. Um, if we're talking in football terms, um, probably following suit because you know when the Ivy League withdraws like this. There's, there's gaps that have to, that appear um, and likely can't be filled. Um, there's a lot of schools now that have scheduling holes um, that might need to reevaluate things. And like you said, the rumors have been going around about the Patriot League. And I mean, if you start to see a lot of these schools um, withdrawing and pulling back and saying, we're, we're going to hold off on this, um, maybe in the spring, maybe not at all, um, I, I think it, it would be pretty easy to see a situation where others follow suit um, both from like an optics standpoint um, we were talking earlier about uh, for instance the the Big East tournament last year um, and how how everyone on Twitter um, seemed to be in an uproar as you had all of this cascading news about conferences canceling their tournaments and the Big East decided to charge ahead and play 20 minutes of a is it Creighton St. John's um, that is correct or see- Okay, Creighton St. John's. Okay, uh, you were there, so I was there. Uh, it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> they did that for you, so you could get your streak. That, I, I well, I was there the night that. before. I already had my streak. Oh, okay, okay. Well, yeah, I, but I wouldn't be surprised at all to see it have that sort of effect, just because of the headaches that that multiple conferences starting to pull out can cause with scheduling, logistics. 
um, administrative issues and and it'd probably be worthwhile at that point to just you know forego that season yeah and you you brought up the point and it, it bears repeating at the absolute minimum at this point with the ivy league not competing in sports through the remainder of 2020 from a basketball perspective that leaves holes in a lot of schedules and there will be more if other conferences follow suit and so the power fives or even you know the upper tier mid-majors of college basketball are going to have to find a way to fill those holes if there's going to be a quote-unquote normal season uh they're gonna have to either well, they're going to have to probably schedule some teams that they wouldn't want to schedule. There will probably be more Division One versus Division Two games than we would like to see. There might be might be some unorthodox, you know, conference game, non-conference schedule kind of things that we see in football every once in a while. It, it'll get weird, and and that's at that's at the bare minimum. You're going to have also Ivy League teams pulling out of their uh, preseason tournaments. Those tournaments are in trouble now because. Most everybody good is committed already. Uh, So just one conference pulling out of the non-conference season has that domino effect already in some way. And it's only going to be a matter of time until we figure out, um, you know, whether other conferences follow suit or not. Um, Another reason why we're doing this, I mean, the timing is good because of the announcement from the Ivy League today, uh, but we were going to do this anyway. Uh, and it's because I think that the talk on Twitter, which is how how we consume sports now, because uh, there's none of it to watch on TV. So all we could do is yell at each other. Um, the, the talk on, on Twitter, it's getting very heated about what should happen uh, when when the fall comes around and when basketball season eventually comes around. And. I. I don't need to say it, but I will say it. Neither of us is a doctor. We aren't experts on respiratory illnesses by any stretch, but we do listen to the people who are, which I think is more than some people could say. And we do look at what has happened around the country. And we've seen um, states have a lot of success in fighting this virus when it has um, enforce stay-at-home orders, encourage people to social distance, require people to wear masks when they have had to go outside, etc. Um, we have gotten to the point here in the Northeast. I'm in New York, but spent a lot of this quarantine in Connecticut. Um, I think the same could be said for pretty much all of New England. We've gotten to the point where the infection rate is low enough that we have been able to successfully roll back some of these restrictions. We are no longer under a stay-at-home order. We have allowed uh, restaurants to start serving people outside. So we have outdoor dining. Um, the barber shops have opened. I got my hair cut today. Uh, we have had some retail locations able to reopen. And we have been able to do all of that without seeing a rise in cases. That has not been the case throughout the rest of the country. Um, You see cases skyrocketing in states where they reopened by all professional um, opinions too soon. I mean, the the 
Trump administration, which has been as pro getting people back to normal life as anybody, laid out a specific set of requirements that states should meet before they reopen, and virtually nobody followed them. And as a result, you see um, places like Florida right now in crisis mode, running out of hospital beds uh, four months after this crisis began, uh, which should not be happening. But we've seen that. We have observed that. And as we get closer to the athletic season, uh, it's become a real concern about whether we can have athletics. And some colleges have brought athletes back throughout all of this. They have started workouts and then had to stop them after frightening numbers of athletes have tested positive. Um, I don't understand why, uh, why people are so willing to accept that this is just the world that we live in now, that we should just accept, you know, 30 players on the Clemson football team or whatever, are going to test positive and a certain number of them will get really sick. And, you know, they probably won't die. So it's okay. Like, where did that come from? Why is that something that we have to accept at this point? That's not an idea that I have been able to grasp fully. Yeah. I, I mean, I totally agree. Uh, especially considering a lot of these talking points uh, of people who were like, well, you know, they're on campus, they're away from family. Um, they're very low risk. A lot of these athletes, when, when, from everything I've seen, there's still no indication because of how new this is that we have any idea what kind of long-term effects this might have on people. I mean, I'm sure um, in the short term, you might be very low risk, but even for those who get it and don't die, even if you're very young and healthy, uh, there might still be lingering effects that we're not really sure about until we actually study this stuff. I would rather err on the side of caution. And, um, you know, you're talking about a lot of these states that that have really rushed to reopen and everything like that, and how um, in in all of in doing all of that, um, all of these sports teams that have also made the rush to get back to workouts and everything that have since had to take pauses. North Carolina, right after Ivy League said their thing today, North Carolina had multiple people test positive. Um, Louisville, I think it was yesterday, um, released a statement talking about how they had multiple people test positive, so they had to postpone or, or put on hiatus their workouts um, for a brief period of time. And so that's one thing that I think is so different about the situation of sports, at least than real life, is that like it seems right now, at least, when, you, when we have these sports um, and we have some of these positive cases and stuff like that, you're actually seeing people um, do the right steps, at least, uh, when, when we have these positive tests and sort of shut things down again, not entirely but take these breaks. And um, I, I'm worried genuinely in a, in a more larger sense of things, of um, if we get to a situation where things keep getting worse and we keep breaking daily highs and in, in, um, in terms of people testing positive um, and that breaking highs in terms of hospitalizations and stuff in these states, that because of how like politicized this issue has pretty much become, that even if we were to go back into some sort of stay-at-home order for another month, month and a half, um, and then some of these places, even if a lot of these governors who have shown no signs of, of backing down at this point were to step back, um, that people would even really comply in the way that they fairly did um, earlier in March and April. Uh, and so that, I think, is what worries me the most, especially as we 
get closer and closer to these fall sports um, coming up on the calendar of, of whether or not um, we're going to see a sort of apathy just sweep across um, a lot of people. And maybe that infects some college administrators and stuff too. Who's to say? You know, I, I guess a, a good thing is that we know that certain policies work in stopping or slowing the spread of this virus. We've seen it. You know, the city I'm in was a disaster zone a couple of months ago. Um, and it is now one of the safest places to be in the country because the people here have been so disciplined in following the rules that, you know, that, that the rate of transmission is so, so low here. And, you know, I will never run low on criticisms of the governor and mayor that represent me. But after really botching this early on and being too slow to react, they've done a very good job in making sure that we take things slow and that we only open when it is appropriate to do so. And, you know, that that's the good part. The, the other part is that in places that haven't done this, um, that could potentially be facing another sort of lockdown. You're exactly right. People don't like being told what to do. And I think in a lot of people's minds, they've already complied um, to the best of their ability for a month, for six weeks, for whatever it was before these restrictions started rolling back. I, you're right. It is going to be hard to convince people to do that again. I don't know if the same could be said of college administrators and people who make decisions on the athletics front, simply because there is also a legal point of view here and college um, administrators league offices. They know that if an athlete gets sick because they were competing in one of their sponsored sports, uh, that could be a big issue for them, and that could cost them a lot of money. And that's something to think about as well. Um, I don't know what that the potential threat of that, what that's going to um, result in as far as uh, what decisions end up being made, but I think it does need to be acknowledged. Um, I also think we need to acknowledge exactly how insane it is that we have some people who are saying right now, you know, it's, it's too bad that people are testing positive and, uh, you know, at, at schools all, all over the country as they start practice or their off season workouts or whatever, but this is the new normal. This is what we have to accept. And, you know, we, we might as well just go and, and play sports and, what I have to wonder is why are sports so important to you that having them from September to December of 2020 um, is such a make or break thing for you? I mean, if you know me at all, you know that I love basketball. I love college basketball as much as anything in the world. I was devastated when they canceled the NCAA tournament. 
I want there to be a season and I want there to be a season that is as close to normal as humanly possible. So, so badly, but I don't want that to come at the expense of somebody's life. And it will at this rate, if there is college basketball in the fall, somebody is going to die. It might not be a player. It might not be a coach. Maybe it'll be team staff, arena staff, uh, media, broadcast, family members of any of the above people, friends, spectators, somebody even loosely associated with one of these programs. And we know that because we have not been able to contain it to the point where it is not on college campuses. This is so contagious, so much more so than the flu, which is a ridiculous comparison that people keep trying to make. So we know that it spreads like wildfire. And we've seen already well over 100,000 people in the United States die from it. It is not outlandish at all to say that if you play college basketball, forget about all the other sports for a second. If you play college basketball before we are really ready to, that somebody is going to die as a result. Am I overreacting to that? Uh, No, I I think that's pretty clear based on what we've seen Um, and a a lot of the data has borne out that that's pretty correct. I mean, it's it's no exaggeration to say right now that people are going to die if you press ahead and put them in situations where we're at pretty high risk activities um, trekking across the country and potentially exposing lots of different places to this. Um, I think it requires a bit of perspective um to to step back a bit and and say you know is this really what's important um i know it's what we like um and i mean i love it as much as as you do um i love football more than you do (laughs) yes you do and and it sucks that we're probably not going to get actual college football season um in the same way but who cares i mean at, at the end of the day if it saves one person for all of this, I, I, I really don't care. Um, and I think one of the most frustrating elements of this is, you know, there's there's multiple different angles people are talking about this. And one of them is basically that, oh, well, people are, you know, they're trying to figure out how to live um, with this right now anyway. And it'd be nice if we can go ahead and get sports along that setting. People are trying to figure out how to work, work with this in the background go to school with this as a background and we could probably figure out a way for sports to make to make this happen with sports and, and my response to that basically is that yeah they're figuring it out because those things are like actually important um and they're essential in terms of how you go about working and a lot of the people who are doing this and are, and are being forced to like figure out how to work are people who don't exactly have the luxury to be thinking about sports right now um, because that's the other element i think that's important for this. Um, you see a lot of people on Twitter who, who talk about, you know, why they want this back and, and how, and they give their different explanations, um, but come, you know, stop short of saying explicitly that like, yes, I absolutely want this back more than anything in the world. And they try to, you know, tiptoe around it and whatnot. But um, one of the big commonalities, I think, is that a lot of people who are saying this um, are, are, you know, white. Um, and I think it's pretty important to, to look at how this uh, virus has, you know, disparately impacted, uh, you know, uh, POC 
I, I saw the New York Times broke it down the other day that um, right now, Latino and African-American residents in the United States are three times as likely to be infected by this, and they are nearly twice as likely to die from this as white people are. Um, and, and part of it, too, is that in a lot of these communities, they don't have the luxury, um, a, a large amount of them are having the luxuries of being able to work from home. They're still being forced to go into work and and um, take you know public transit that might expose them even greater. And a lot of them don't want to be figuring out ways to try and live with this. But when you have a situation where you know the government's basically given up on trying to, to help people in this, um, we have unemployment insurance running out at the end of the month, that extra boost um, is set to expire at the end of July no new signs of any stimulus um it people are just basically you know damned if they do damned if they don't in this situation and and we're putting them in an awful place and i think it's pretty selfish um to look at this just from a sports lens and say that like well since everybody else in society is, is trying to figure out how to make this work um, like with the coronavirus that we should we should let sports go along with that when it's such an unnecessary um, and non-essential uh, element of life in the grand scheme of things that it can feasibly be done away with for a year if it means in, impacting safety in any sort of meaningful way. Well, these people are right that we have to figure out how to survive with this virus for the immediate term. Um, and I think we have to a good degree. We've learned how to safely shop for groceries, to pick up our prescriptions, etc. Um, one thing that we have also learned that keeps us safe is to avoid large crowds and avoid doing things that bring us in close physical contact with people. And that's what we're going to have to do until there is a treatment for COVID-19. And I don't want to delve too far into that world because I'm certainly not qualified, but I work kind of tangentially to it. And I'm extremely encouraged about the vaccines and the other treatments that are in the works. And I am very hopeful that there will be something soon. Um, but until there is, let's not, let's not sacrifice the old people. Let's not sacrifice the immunocompromised people uh, for the, for the sake of athletics. And, you know, I, to touch on what you said uh, a minute ago, um, I already know people are going to comment on this podcast. Why are you making this about race? Well, because it is. And you cited the numbers. Um, minority communities have been disproportionately affected by this. Minority communities are also overwhelmingly the people who play division one college basketball. And there is a connection there. And if you are in a position where you are well off enough that you could sit back on Twitter and say, your biggest worry is whether these black athletes are going to entertain you for free. Good for you, but they've got other things on their minds and people who have a shred of empathy have other things on their minds. And believe it or not, your entertainment is not the most important thing. I have survived just fine over the past four months without baseball, as much as I love baseball. You can survive a year 
of no college sports if that's what it takes. And like I said before, I really hope that that's not the case. I really hope that we have basketball this year and we have it as close to normal as humanly possible. It's just if the season were to start today, that would not be the case. And I hope that changes. I just don't know um, if I could really predict at this point that that's going to be the case. Now, there is another side to this, and it would be irresponsible for us to ignore it completely because it does drive a lot of decision-making in college athletics, and that is the financial aspect. Um, The NCAA and its member institutions left a whole lot of money on the table when it canceled the NCAA tournament this year, and it was necessary, and it was the right decision, no question about it. We have seen the uncertainty the lack of money coming into colleges and universities um, from last spring and from this summer already have significant effects on a lot of major athletic programs. We saw Stanford announce today that it is cutting 11 varsity sports. Now, you, there's an asterisk there. You should note that Stanford sponsors a hell of a lot of sports, like way more than any or the average power five does. And it still does. Even it was like with these 36. Players. It's ridiculous, but yeah. it's not insignificant that they decided to cut 11 of them. And you could look at Stanford and you could say, well, they're in the power five. They have the cartel money, which they do. They have an incredibly high endowment. They're such a prestigious university. That's all true. They have the money coming in from the PAC 12 network. Um, but those dollars aren't infinite. And I think I, and I know I, I uh, cite this a lot on this podcast and I'm going to do it again because he's absolutely right. Uh, Gary Parrish on the Ion college basketball podcast brought this point up and it's something I hadn't thought about until he brought it up. Um, if you are an average working person in this country, you probably get paid every other week or maybe every week or maybe once a month, but it's, it's something around that. If for whatever reason you don't get your payment one week, a lot of people can survive. They can wait the two weeks until, you know, until it all comes through, they can survive, you know, an error in accounting that it delays their paycheck a little bit. A lot of people can, not everyone. A lot of people can. Universities get paid really twice a year. They get paid for the fall semester. They get paid for the spring semester. And if you miss one of those payments, that is a huge financial hit that colleges take. I'm talking about tuition money, of course. So that's why there will be a humongous push to open campuses up in some degree in the fall. Because if you're going to do classes online only, you're going to lose a lot of money. Um, you're not going to be able to charge full tuition. You're not going to be able to get money from uh, from students in room and board it's going to have a huge, huge effect. And and that's why you're going to see this push. And that's why you're going to see, it, similarly, I think a real effort to be made to play sports at some point this year to bring in some additional money because colleges are really hurting uh, based on money that they've lost out on already from the spring and will probably lose out on a little bit um, in the fall. So the financial aspect will be taken into account as ugly as it is. And as much as we wish we didn't have to, because as 
we said we don't want to sacrifice the health of any single person in this country. Um, but money talks and money might do that. Yeah, I mean, it's especially problematic when you think, you know, I know Stanford um, cited it in there, you know, we, we talk about them having a lot of these huge endowments anyway that might be able to offset, you know, some of the momentary uh, temporary losses um, from missing out on being able to air, you know, certain games um, and, you know, missing out on you know, ticket sales and revenue from all of that. Um, but, you know, Stanford cited it earlier about how even though they have a close to $30 billion endowment, uh, most of that's reserved for non-athletic stuff anyway. So it's not exactly like they can dip into their other coffers to even offset some of that. So um, I'm sure that's a commonality with a lot of schools in that regard. And so that's one other reason I think that you wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised to see money play that sort of outsized influence as well. Just knowing that um, a lot of these costs of these athletic expenditures just aren't going to be able to be covered by some of the extra funding that the schools do get anyway. So I want to ask you this. If let, let's say I were to tell you that college basketball is going to start in November in whatever fashion, and it will continue and it will end with the NCAA tournament in March and early April. What would you tell me? needs to happen in the meantime? I mean, first of all, I like, like I don't even know what that would look like in, in that scenario, just for the sheer fact that if we have no vaccine or anything, I, I think you just go towards a situation like what we saw when, in, in March when we had all these conference tournaments, and the second someone tests positive, they just close everything down again. You have these teams quarantined, and suddenly you have – whole segments of different conferences that have to take a step back for like weeks, you know, basketball rosters and staff aren't as large as football. Um, and so it would be harder to accommodate that sort of loss. I, I think it would be just unfeasible for that reason alone. Um, but I mean, it would take now people getting very serious about this in the ways that we were early on in the pandemic. Um, you know, when, when people were actually, um, you know, following some of these stay-at-home orders that were in, put, being put in place all across the country. Um, I, I don't know. It doesn't seem like anything will be done um, in that respect, um, just because of how politicized this has become. You have government officials in the Trump administration who are pushing big time for schools, for all kids and types of schools to reopen in the fall um, with the education secretary saying it's not a matter of if, but but what's going to happen. Um, so I'm not optimistic that anything is going to change in between now and then um, that will have any sort of positive impact on what the season looks like. And then that's why I think I'm even less optimistic about, about anything being done. I mean, it seems like right now um, most people holding the levers of power are just trying to wait it out, hope we get bored with listening about it and thinking about it until some sort of uh, vaccine comes along that even then, yeah, a decent amount of the population probably won't even take. Well, you do bring up a good point, and that is that even if by some miracle everybody starts doing what they should be doing at the same time and we get this really under control to the point where it makes sense to have college basketball in the fall, 
all it takes is one person testing positive and you have to shut the whole thing down again. And it's very likely that that would happen because you can't have somebody who has tested positive for coronavirus playing in a college basketball game where they are going to come in contact with a whole bunch of other opposing players who are then going to go back to their campus and go back to their classes and infect God knows how many other people. Um, so you're right. Even under the best case scenario, it still might not be a good idea uh, to have college sports before we have either a vaccine or some sort of treatment that significantly uh, cuts down on this virus's ability to spread. Um, and it's it's a reason why, actually, I think a lot of people are saying we just have to live with it because we don't know when that's going to come. And I think people kind of fear that we could be sitting here having this exact same conversation a year from now. Um, and, and I understand that. But and and maybe this this just sounds weak. Maybe this just sounds like wishful thinking to me. But I, I think you just, you have to have faith that uh, the smartest people in the world are going to figure this out because they've been working for four months on it for longer than that. And we have seen a lot of promising results in testing. It's just taking a long time. Um, and I, I hate to I hate to say that, but may, maybe that's just the best the best thing we could do right now. I would much rather sit here and say, have some faith than sit here and say, you know, screw it. If a few people die, a few people die. Right. Right. And I mean, I think the voices of people who are, who are saying that are people who haven't obviously, like I said, felt the weight of, of what this actually means um, to, to push forward in that regard. Um, and, and I know we talked about, previously some of the other arguments that people have made about this um, who have said, you know, it's worthwhile to, to listen to what people actually involved in the sport and involved in the decisions um, and people who would actually be playing and putting themselves at risk, I think. Um, and, and that's an argument I just don't really buy just for the sheer fact that we, we know what they're going to think. I mean, for right. the large part, for a lot of them, you know, some some might say yes, it, it's it's a good idea to step back. I'm I'm not, I'm I'm concerned about this. I don't want to put myself at risk uh, because of, of what this disease can do. Um, you know, even if if it's uh, a low chance of anything really bad happening to somebody who's a, a young, healthy athlete, there's still a chance that it's going to be somebody. Um, but it, it's the same sort of situation where if you were to ask, I don't know, a barber at the beginning of this crisis, um, what they would say about, they would say, we should consult the barbers about whether or not we should close barber shops, uh, a similarly high risk activity um, at the beginning of this. Well, obviously they're not going to want to close. Um, they're going right. to want to stay open and, and do things the same way um, to avoid any sort of disruption. But which is I didn't hear anyone say consider the barbers. Yeah, exactly. Like I didn't hear said, that at all. <laughs> yeah, nobody's saying that we should ask a lot of these people whose lives were um, even more uprooted. And, and so I, that's one reason I don't really really buy this. I think that's kind of a, a hollow argument for that reason, just because we know what they're going to say. And it, it quite frankly, um, when you're thinking about the grand scheme of things, doesn't matter as much as what the actual public health um, impact will 
Yeah, and and on on the other hand, I would say if there is a college sports season in any form this year, no matter when or what sport or whatever, if there are athletes who say, you know what, I don't feel safe doing this. I don't I'm not gonna play this year. I don't think he or she should have any problem pulling out for the time being for their own well-being or for the well-being of those around them. And I would hope that the NCAA would not dock them a year of eligibility for it. I would hope they could take some sort of red shirt for that because this college athletics, if it were, if they were to happen this year, um, there is a tremendous amount of risk that would come with it. And you should absolutely not be penalized if you decide that it's not worth it. And I know the NCAA has a has a pretty long history and problem with uh, treating athletes like actual students um, are right. treated in college. But for instance, um, my school you know, gives people the option at this point um, to do remote learning. Um, you know, they're doing a hybrid plan at the law school I attend, um, and people are allowed if they are not comfortable. Um, being in any of these classes where we might actually have in-person stuff, they are totally allowed to opt out for the semester and do remote learning um, because of that. And I, I think that sort of, like you said, should be applied to athletics as well. Um, and you shouldn't be penalized in that situation. One thing that did fascinate me from like a mid-major perspective, this obviously is not as important as everything else that we talked about, but um, you saw... Rick Pitino advocates for conference play yep. only. Um, if the Ivy League goes and starts on January 1st, they're just going to be doing conference play. What that's going to look like for some of the better conferences if they go to that, I think they're going to be the ones that probably might struggle with this from just like a league uh, performance aspect the most, whether it's like the A-10, Mountain West, um, you can maybe even throw like Conference USA or something in there, uh, Missouri Valley. Um, some of these leagues that might have potential to actually um, get at large bids and stuff like that, what that sort of selection process would look like, assuming we're able to get um, college basketball in some shape um, that only involves conference play. It worries me to think about how much that that might end up hurting some of these uh, mid-majors. I'm sure they would figure out some way to tailor the selection process, but if if all things were equal, that that is a um, a little troubling. Yeah, it is. And as you said, there are a thousand things more important than that. But since we are a mid-major blog, that that is something worth discussing because a conference-only season uh, seems like it's it, there's a very real possibility that that ends up happening. Um, either that or no season at all, really. Those seem like the two most likely scenarios. Um, and if it does end up being a conference-only season, it's going to be very difficult to judge well, really any team if they're only playing within their own conference, but especially the teams we think of as higher quality mid-majors. You're not going to be able to look at, you know, say Gonzaga, they play uh, 16 games in the West Coast Conference. You say, well, they, you know, they beat St. Mary's twice. St. Mary's is pretty good, but, you know, they, they lose out against that game against North Carolina that they had this year, or they lose out against, you know, with their MTE. So how do you judge them against the the higher level competition? It's going to be a real problem when it comes to selection time. And I wouldn't be surprised if 
there are significantly fewer uh, mid-majors. Well, I can't say that because there are so few mid-major at large bids to begin with, but it's right. the point I'm saying, the point I'm making is the road's going to be a lot harder or that seating ends up being something that is more guesswork than anything else. Uh, we have things like Ken Palm or the net in the ways that it is improved um, as opposed to what the RPI was that try to standardize this a little bit that, that have helped, but really nothing is going to be as helpful as who did you beat and, and where did you beat them? And having, you know, a, I don't know, a St. Louis not being able to play a marquee at a conference game, uh, that's going to really hurt them. And if, if you're giving me the choice between conference only schedule and roll the dice and see what happens, I'm taking the conference only schedule because I really want there to be basketball, but there's no doubt that it would put mid majors at a significant disadvantage for this year. And I've tried thinking a little bit about what they could try to do to counteract that. Um, and, and I really, I don't have an answer. I, I don't know if you do. Um, I, I think one thing that would be important for the selection committee to do is to make it more of a priority to watch those teams play on TV when they are on TV. Um, I know that is something that they stress. There are certain committee members who are responsible for looking after certain conferences as the year goes on. I think they're going to have to make it more of a point. I think you're going to have to weigh the, and I hate saying it, the eye test a little bit more than you normally would. Um, and, and you'll just kind of have to do your best, but it's it's a bad situation. It would be a bad situation for mid-majors, but one that they would have to navigate for hopefully just one year. Yeah, and I know you brought up like Gonzaga as one of your examples in there, but yeah. I mean, um, I think Gonzaga would still at this point get a similar benefit that like a P5 school would really. Um, mm-hmm. But St. Louis, yeah. I think, for instance, is one that, that would work in Richmond, for instance. Um, which yeah, Richmond's would a good one all, too. Would in all likelihood probably get an at-large bid anyway. Um, I, I, I can't directly recall any of their other games, but for instance, they finally got a game against Kentucky um, that there's on their schedule, like a really big opportunity to, to make an impact um, win. They're returning all these players that could probably end up getting them ranked for a good amount of the season, um, getting that large bid, and they might end up only getting to play A-10 opponents, which obviously um, would hurt considering um, what that league might end up looking like next year. Um, and so it's, it's certainly pretty worrisome, but as far as I'm thinking, you know, that's a bridge that we'll think about when we have to cross it. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm with you completely there. It it would suck for the mid majors, but honestly, it it's better than nothing. If yeah. it is if it is safe to have a conference only season, we'll yeah. If we it. get to a situation, if we get to a situation where that's what we're talking about on like podcasts on our website, I would consider that probably a really really good thing. Like, <laughs> yep, I would love to be mad about. Mid-major selections <laughs> next March. I would love to just be furious and just tweeting through it online all of Selection Sunday. Coronavirus has been cured. We're back to um, complaining about you know Belmont getting underseated. Really good stuff. No escalators. Loves to needle me about the mid-majors like in Slack. 
So mm-hmm. I would just love to be getting just red in the face, angry at him over his takes about St. Mary's <laughs> and like to the point where I want to quit slack and log off forever. Like I long <laughs> for that as opposed to, are we going to have sports at all? Yeah. And I, I, and it is sad. Like when you think about like what, what, it, what we might be missing out on next season. Um, Cause every year there's always, that's one of the big things I love about our website and what we cover is just that there's so many different stories because of how many players and teams there are, how many interesting personalities and, and it's different from pro sports in that it's rapidly changing. Um, the players rotate in and rotate out. There's always new, new faces and new blood to be looking at and talking about. Um, and this season, for instance, we were going to get, you know, um, Rick Pitino finally being <laughs> under the purview of our blog. Um, Bryce Whenever Drew, that finally happens, I can't wait. I, I, yeah, I know. I want so much Rick Pitino content. We got Bryce Drew at, um, at Grand Canyon. Um, we're going to get, we would have probably gotten a really good like Richmond and St. Louis team. Um, and, and I'm still really sad about how the end of last season happened because I think that probably was the best chance any of us have been at the blog for any team we cover um, to make a Final Four as well just win the tournament. I mean, that Dayton as well as San Diego State team were pretty generational in terms of how much talent they had for teams from those conferences. So all in all, it's been very sad. And so I promise we're just as sad as you. We probably sound like huge schmucks and we're downers um, through this whole like hour, I guess we've talked. Uh, but Rest assured, we're big fans of this. We would love a situation where we're able to be talking to you about trivial stuff, like um, why SEC schools are ducking, uh, why Kentucky's <laughs> ducking Western Kentucky, um, which that, that whole exchange the other day was just like so beautiful because it was just like pure escapism, just like, yeah. <laughs> like just going back to simpler times and stuff. We would love to be thinking about that more, um, but sometimes things are more important. And uh, we got to sometimes give up stuff that we like if it means um, helping out everyone else. So, Yep. And hopefully we don't have to give it up for too much longer, but you know, we'll, we'll see what happens and, and we're going to hope for the best. So I think that's all that we wanted to cover here. Was there anything else? I have nothing else. All right. Good. Cause I'm getting tired. So For Cam Newton, I'm Russ Steinberg. Thank you so much for listening to the Bin Major Madness podcast. Just a reminder to subscribe wherever it is that you find your podcast, rate and review, all of that stuff, because we're told that it helps. I I don't know if it does, but, you know, let's pretend that it does. And you could do that for us. I'd really appreciate it. And hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. You know, the pandemic will dictate that. Um, Stay safe, everybody.